The following is an exclusive Disruption Network production. Anthony Z. Donaldson jumping in really quick to say thank you so much for clicking that download button. If you guys can do us a quick little favor, subscribe, share this podcast, and if you could drop us a review in all our podcast platforms, it would be greatly appreciated. You can also follow along on Instagram at the real Danny Nappy. Thank you so much for all your support and click that share button, hit that subscribe button, and drop us a review. In the heart of East Utica lies Joey's at 307. That's 307 Mohawk Street. It's where the eclectic old school meets the new school cuisine. Dine in and enjoy some amazing seafood dishes, classic Utica Italian dishes, lunch specials, a revolving dinner menu, and even offering catering. Call them at 315-864-3527. Joey's at 307. You're going to love it. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not those of Disruption Network Productions Incorporated or any of its officials or sponsors. The following program contains explicit content. Listener's discretion is advised. Utica Hoodlum, Donato, Danny Nappy, currently acts as a strong arm and muscle for La Cosa Nostra contingency in Utica, New York. He is presently under indictment and awaiting trial for burglary perpetrated by him in Herkimer, New York. Nappy's Hoodlum connections range from New York City to Ohio to Florida. Nappy is considered to be one of the prime targets for organized crime investigators in central New York, including Utica Police Department Organized Crime Vice Intelligence Unit, New York State Police Organized Crime Task Force, and the FBI. My friend and I were always surveilled. As a matter of fact, sometimes when I had to leave this house, I would leave his grandmother's house through her backyard, jump the fence into the other guy's backyard, and there would be a car waiting for me the other street ahead of me. We used to get followed constantly. Wherever we went, we went. Tell my friend, he says, you know what? We knew where they parked their cars. We went down there and got all their plate numbers of all the cars that they used. So we knew what kind of car they had. It was a Volkswagen. They had a nice white Riviera they used to follow us around. That was the Riviera where that cop came to the car wanted to borrow money. 77, 78. So it, they had the editorial people. They put it in the paper. And people used to write in their opinion about what happened. Again, I was under surveillance. And it was the White Riviera. He was parked on, Chan- on Bleecker Street in front of Chancellor Park. There. It's like a half a block away from Grimaldi's. And I happened to be sitting in the car talking to my brother. And all of a sudden, this detective come to the car. Hey, Doc, to my brother. Hey, Danny, how are you? He says, uh, can I talk to you? I says, is this official business? He says, I won't talk to you. No, no, no. He said, I'm not official business. This guy, this cop. Used to go on a place on a corner on, on South Street. It was a joint, the bus stop joint called the Elbow Room. And then there were these these girls were, were dancers, like go-go dancers, huh? But I guess they were the lowest grade. You know, there's some strippers, you know, they were, the, the bra was a fucking dog. He falls in love with her. I know this because I know the owner of the place. You bank it. So, okay, I know about that. I asked him, I said, this business or no? He said, no, this is not busy. I got to ask you a favor. I said, what kind of a favor I can do you? He said, could I, I borrow $500? I said, where the fuck am I going to get $500? You know, I don't work. I have no income. I says, and besides, what do you need $500 for? He says, my daughter's going to college. She needs the money. So the antenna up. What college you give five hundred dollars to go to? <laughs> now all this time the feds are watching me under surveillance. They see this cop. They identified this cop. What the hell is this cop doing? Talking, talking to Eddie. I had this big black Cadillac. 
make it funny. My brother, give him the $500. I said, you give him $500. You make 150000 a year, you give him the fucking five. I don't have it. So we dipped in there. They says, look, come back tomorrow night. I want to think about it. Anyway, we gave him the $500. Now, somehow, some way, I really put the stamp that the FBI picked him up. I found out the FBI picked this cop up right away. Boom. I said, holy shit. I'm thinking of another charge. You know, warrants, breaking down the door, searching the house and everything for different things. It didn't happen that way, but they did know about it. It got out. The news picked up on it. Now he calls up. He wants to give it back to me. I'm paranoid with all that, that he got called in with the police chief, the FBI. You know, he got scared. He's a cop. So I'm, I'm paranoid of taking the money back. I mean, Gamalich, I got that money for you. I didn't want to take it back. My lawyer happened to be there. He said, you nuts? Get that money back. What are you nuts? I said, what if I take it back? And he said, I, I charge him big. You know, it's 500 Say you give me $550 back or $600 back. I can charge for loan charging. You know what the VIG is, right? It's juice. I wouldn't give it back. My lawyer gave it back. I made him give it to my lawyer. But he got a lot of things with the, in the newspaper about that. Years later, maybe I'm uh, 8 to 10 years into my bid, the big, big, I'm away in prison. I used to get the Utica paper. I read that he's running for, for, for some kind of office in Utica against this thing. And something said to my, I said, you know what? You don't like this guy. Get it out what he did. He's running for politics now. We'll see what he'll make, you know, tell this story and see what kind of a politician he is. And give him the Zaffer. I wouldn't do it. As I said, now you're being a fucking rat, and I wouldn't do it. Fall 1976, 35-year-old Albert Marone was advised by state attorneys of the Atlanta office that the FBI in Utica had information that he was to be murdered by mafia hoodlums once he returned. He told state attorneys he could take care of himself. Less than two weeks from his release, he was gunned down in front of his apartment in Utica, New York. He got out of prison. He's got a couple under his belt. You know what I'm saying? When he got out of prison, he wanted to take over what was here in Utica. And he happened to threaten somebody's son. Somebody didn't take a liking to that. Somebody had him hit. And it was a gangland slaying. You know, it was a fucking gangland slaying. And that was the reason why he was supposed to be killed. He was a a rah-rah guy, too. He was a tough guy, but no manners. He embarrassed us. It was 1976. In 1977 or 78, I got indicted on that slaying. And I went to trial on that slaying. And I got acquitted of that slaying. There was a lot of organized crime involved in that, that incident. And there was a couple of incidents that I don't forget that happened during the trial. And the trial, I think, was 1978 or 79. One of the incidents was, uh, at that time, I had a lot of surveillance on me. An FBI agent was surveilling a house that was a high-ranking organized crime individual at that house. While he was surveilling that house, he claims that he saw a black Cadillac pulled up to the house, get out of the car, and go into that house come back out. He followed that Cadillac to a restaurant in Utica, and uh, he claimed the individual was with me. Before he got on, while he got on the stand, one of the first things that agent did was, when the district attorney asked him his first question, the agent referred, may I refer to my my notes? Pulls a thing out of his sport jacket, Lincoln. And he says, yeah. He says, the individual that I saw come out of the house, 
and I followed down to Grimaldi's was Donato Nappi. We had a recess. I couldn't remember. My lawyer says, where were you? I said, I don't remember. I can't remember where I was that day. So my son's mother says, you were in New York. We all were in New York. Me, my son is a young boy. Part of that uh, was that uh, I was in the fish business. We used to order our clams from Long Island. The truck broke down and made it to Hunts Point. He brought the clams to a, a vegetable, a, a produce comp- complex in Hunts Point. I happened to have a friend at the time who was in the produce uh, business in Utica. He said, look, you can take my, my uh, van, go down there, he says, because I got some garlic down there. You can pick up the garlic, pick up the clams, and put them on the truck and bring them back. It happened to be a nice day. It was a sunshining day, really nice day to drive. So I asked her and my son, you just want to come? They said yes. On the way down to New York City, uh, I had the habit every time I fueled or got a toll, I keep the tickets, I keep the receipt for the fuel and the time. So I'm already down. I was a little late that day. The man who owned the produce company was waiting for me. And I was calling him, wait, I'll be there. Don't Please don't leave, don't leave, don't leave. Finally, we got there. I remember picking my son up and putting him on the, do- on the dock with this guy, and this guy just fell in love with my son. He said, oh, that cute little boy, and this and that. Anyway, I load up the clams, and I bring them back, along with the uh, the garlic. 300 pounds of garlic I had that day. How the hell are you going to forget that? The fucking truck stunk. So now, what do we do? We subpoena that guy down there. Now, you got to remember, I don't know this guy. Myself, I don't know this guy. He just did me a favor because he knew the produce uh, people in Utica. We uh, subpoenaed him to the courtroom, and he, and he told the story. And, and during cross-examination, are you sure? Uh, is that what happened? He said, look. He looked over at my son because he was in the courtroom that day. He was a little boy. He says, how could I ever forget a beautiful little boy like that? I know that this guy was in Utica, and I know I gave him the clams, and I know how he suffered smelling that garlic all, over, all the way back to Utica. He was a nice guy. Donato. Danny Nappy, age 35, of Utica, was found innocent by Oneida County Court jury of gangland slaying of convicted loan shark Albert Marone, age 35. Some of the jurors told courtroom observers that there was reasonable doubt as to whether Nappy murdered Marone. Defense witnesses said Nappy was making a pickup of clams and 300 pounds of garlic in New York City on the day Marone was killed. So after that trial... I asked my lawyer if he would uh, try to get this agent uh, reprimand or something happened. The guy's out and out, out and out, said that I was, he saw me come out of, that's how people get, and it wasn't me. Anyway, that agent, nothing ever happened to him because he's an agent, and that's the way they work. During the trial, naturally, the defendant always glances over at the jury, at the jury, tries to read the jury's mind, but you can't read anybody's mind, and you wonder, look at this guy, he had one arm. He's leaning over me. He was a juror, leaning. He'd stare at me all day long. He's about this guy don't like me. He hates me. Why the fuck is he? And I used to say that to my lawyer, leaning over that guy over there. Look, he's, he says, you're, you're delusional. And then there was a lady that did the same thing that was on the jury. The jury went out, came back in with a not guilty verdict. So at the end of the trial, after it was all over, we invited them to this restaurant in Utica. The name of the restaurant was Gomaldi's. At that, t- that time, the lawyer that I had, he, uh, he was one of the proprietors of Gomaldi's. So he invited the jurors who wanted to come 
They have like a little party, and we all go over there. So now what was on my mind was that lady that was looking at me real good. So I, I give them time to have something to eat and have something to drink, and I approached her. And I says, before trial, before the trial starts, the, one of the instructions from the judges, do not form, a, form an opinion until all the evidence is in. I said, did you form an opinion? She says, of course I have formed an opinion. She says, the first witness was that big fat guy. He burped on the stand, he farted, and he lied. That's my opinion. You are not guilty. I know I'm not guilty. Thank you, ma'am. Now I go over to the other guy who was staring at me with the arm. No arm. I says, hey, you like me? He says, of course I do. He says, I found you not guilty, didn't I? I said, no, but you got to look on your face. When you look at somebody, you're a mean guy. He started laughing. What I'm getting at the point is, you can't read the jury. You don't know what's on their mind, how they're thinking. Thankfully, I got acquitted of this murder. After the acquittal, Nappy is hot, not only by FBI standards, but also in the streets. To take the heat off, he decides to take a legitimate job. I'm out on indictment on a murder charge. A friend of mine is the commissioner of the Department of Public Works. He says, do you think you can get me on the city? He says, yeah. He says, Come and meet me. I'll introduce you to the mayor. And, I, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to listen to this guy. Remember, Mayor Hanna, the toys guy. He took me in, introduced her mayor. The mayor knew me, you know, heard of me. I says, I need a job. I says, you know. He says, you know what? I'm going to hire you. You're in trouble. You need a job more than anything. I says, thank you very much. And he knew I was out on a murder charge. He said, do you have a Polaroid camera home? And I just had bought one from a booster, brand new fucking Polaroid. And I says, yeah. He says, well, I want you to come in every morning. You stop in the offices and see, uh, uh, see Rita, and she'll give you some Polaroid film, and she's going to give you a list of addresses. I want you to go to these addresses, take a picture of the sidewalks that are broken up and cracked and everything, and you'll have a list, do the list, come back in and give her the pictures. Do you have a car? Yes. He said, well, use your own car. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give up. Well, they used to have these big signs if you're an official Utica, New York, official business. So I won't, I can park anywhere I want. He says, mean it's your own car. When you need gas, go down to DPW. They'll fill your car up. It was a nice job. I said, go take the pictures, bring them in. When the sidewalk was done, they tell me, give me a list. I go back, the sidewalk is done. You know, they fixed it. Then I got sick of working, and I didn't even take the pictures no fucking more. I just... Didn't even show up, got paid. I'm not the only one that did that in the cities. You know, that's, you know, now you, you can't do that because it's all union. It's time to take a break. It's nothing personal. It's strictly business. Support for this podcast is brought to you by Northeastern Roofing and Construction. Based out of Utica, New York, they specialize in residential and commercial roofing. Call them at 315-534-6118 for an estimate or visit their website at northeasternroofs.com. You can also find them on Facebook. Coming soon, Crash's Metal Recovery, located at 2435 State Route 5, Utica, New York. Crash is back and always providing cash for your scrap. Performing services on various forms of scrap metal that are ferrous and non-ferrous. Crash's Metal Recovery, coming soon. Locally owned and operated by the Givanazzo family. Now back to Unbreakable, the Donato Danny Nappy story. November 1980. Republican candidate Ronald Reagan is the elected 40th president of the United States, defeating incumbent Jimmy Carter in a landslide victory. Iraqi President Saddam Hussein declares a holy war against Iran. 83 million Americans tune into CBS to find out who shot JR 
in this legendary episode of Dallas. A fire at the MGM Grand Hotel in Las Vegas kills 84 people. The night before Thanksgiving, Nappy is out on the town enjoying a couple drinks when someone decides to try him. There was a guy at the bar. I walked by him to go uh, to the bathroom. I didn't like him. He says, hey, Danny, how are you? I said, don't ever fucking talk to me again, you liver lip motherfucker. Don't ever talk to me again. Jaw drop. I go to the bathroom, and I come back. Go at the bar. I was with a good friend of mine, and I was with a mailman. He was a legitimate guy. We were just drinking. My friend was here. The mailman was here. I'm at the long part of the bar. This guy that I told that to left. All of a sudden, you ever hear, you ever watch a Western movie where, where two guys in, in a saloon, they're ready to draw, and the whole saloon gets quiet on TV? You ever watch it? Anyway, that's what happened. Although the music was playing, everything got quiet. I look, here's a guy standing right next to me with a shotgun. He was drunk. Come back after me, right? So I said, what do I do now? I had both my hands here. You remember, I had a friend here. I said, I think you should your left hand, fast, hit the case it goes off, hit the shotgun this way, and nail them. This is all going in your mind in a split seconds when somebody's got a gun on you. Here's the guy with the thing, the mailman's here. I already got acquitted on a murder charge. I think I was out on another bail. So he says to myself, do it. So when I did it, I did it. Boom. It went that way. The shotgun went that way. And when I hit him, I missed him because unbeknown to me, my friend hit him. So I was at in the temple shot with black and with the brass knuckles. Now he goes down, the mailman's got the, the rifle. I was so hot, he's down with his tongue hanging out of his mouth that I said, give me the rifle. The mailman said, no, I ain't going to give it to you. He thinks I want to kill this guy. Give me the fucking rifle. He wouldn't give it to me. He ran out of the joint with the rifle. So my other friend over here, this guy's on the floor. We just nailed him, nailed him, nailed him, nailed him. About two nights after Thanksgiving, I met another guy at the Sheridan in downtown Utica. What is it, Radisson now? One of his friends come up. He says, hey, you know that guy? That gun was loaded. I said, so? I said, if it was loaded, why don't you just shoot me? Balls. He went home and got the gun because he was drunk. They didn't have no balls to shoot me. But it's true. I told him, get away from me. You're a fucking punk like your friend is. Even in his leisure time, someone is always testing his patience. So on the Sunday, him and his mother used to go out. It was like our thing. And he had this Chinese restaurant in there. So after we do our shopping, sometimes we come in bags, you know. They had a buffet there. And at the buffet, they had these chicken wings, curried chicken wings. I loved them. Now I'm in my 30s, and I could eat. I could eat 50 chicken wings, and it's a lot of chicken wings. So we'd sit down, they get what they want, and I go back and forth to get more chicken wings, more chicken wings, and eat them. So this must have went on three or four weekends, five weekends. On this particular time, as I'm walking out, the Chinese guy there was a suit and tie, you know, the little cash register. He said, hey. I said, you talking to me? He says, yeah, I talked to you. You steal my chicken wing. I said, what? You steal my chicken wings. I was eating so many chicken wings, he'd think I'm taking the chicken wings back and put them in the bag and, and taking, this, taking the chicken wings out. Now, again, I'm in trouble. There's a lot of people in the place. He's a little boy. I don't want to start no shit. I says, okay, we'll talk about the chicken wing some other time. And I left. I go get a friend the next day. I'm hot. I'm hot at this fucking guy. Sort of like, a, I steal your chicken. You're going to say this in front of his mother and, his, and the kid? Who else must have heard it? Walk in the next day, me and my friend. 
Go right to the fucking kitchen. Where's this guy? Where's Where's the owner? Where's the owner? Oh, he's he not here. They, they can barely speak English. Got a message for your owner. We made There was two of them working in the kitchen, two or three of them. Made them stand out of attention. You know those piles of dishes where they have plates? It broke them over their fucking head. Um, this is for your fucking guy that says he did chicken wings. I never went back in a place, but I wish he was there. Broke him over his fucking head. According to the FBI files attained through the Freedom of Information Act, tags Donato Nappy, a.k.a. Danny, as a well-known hitman in the Utica, New York area, having performed hits for the Buffalino, Colombo, and Magadino crime families. There was this guy that came up. He lived in Florida. He came up on a visit. He's in Grimaldi's, right? He said, look, I'm staying at my mother's. Could you give me a ride home? I said, yeah. You get in the car as we're driving. He's a big dealer. Pulls a, a, a bag, a lunch bag, out of his pocket, unzip it. It's white powder. He takes a jammy over here. Takes a hit. Now I'm on a fucking bail on a murder charge. And I says, what the fuck are you doing in my car with that fucking shit? Naturally, I get, he, I get pulled over. I, he's got it. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a pinch for that. You know what his answer to me was? Yeah, it's all right you, for you to ride around with bodies in your trunk and you worry about this fucking bag of coke. That's, that's his answer. It was funny to me at the time, but then I kicked him out of the fucking car. January 1981. Surveillance was conducted on a weekly basis that showed an individual making pickups from a local bookmaker. This individual was identified as Donato Nappy. He was photographed exiting the bookmaking parlor with a wad of money in his hands. I got indicted for the fucking Hobbs Act, that's federal extortion, yeah. was out on bail. Listen to this, was out on bail, got indicted on that murder, and made bail on the murder. I was out on two fucking bails, 20000 and 50000 Passed in 1970, the Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act, otherwise known as RICO, is a federal law designed to combat organized crime in the United States. It allows prosecution and civil penalties for racketeering activity performed as part of an ongoing criminal enterprise. Such activity may include illegal gambling, bribery, kidnapping, murder, money laundering, counterfeiting, embezzlement, drug trafficking, slavery, and a host of other unsavory business practices. To convict a defendant under RICO, the government must prove that the defendant engaged in two or more instances of racketeering activity and that the defendant directly invested in maintained an interest in, or participated in, criminal enterprise affecting interstate or foreign commerce. Then I went to trial first, 1980 or 81, on the Hobbs Act, federal court in Albany. The Hobbs Act prohibits actual or attempted robbery or extortion affecting interstate or foreign commerce in any way or degree. Hobbs Act was enacted as a statute to combat racketeering and labor management disputes, frequently used in connection with cases involving public corruption. I got acquitted on that. Then I had to go to a trial, I think it was 1982, on the murder charge. I went through some fucking shit, kid. I wasn't laying down. I was doing a lot of shit. You do that. I mean, you, you think about it. You're on two fucking... These are main charges. Yeah. That Hobbs Act, if I got convicted, it was like 20 years. You got to make money. Remember I told you how you walk into somebody, gets in trouble, now he's got to sell his house for the lawyers, and they got a big bond. What do you do, sit home and stroke it? You got to go out and make money. What do I know? I ain't no fucking uh, Rutgers graduate. <laughs> well, I'm going to get a fucking job. I know safes, burglaries, fucking shit like that. February 1980, 23-year-old Don Grillo's body was found, strangled and beaten to death in a ravine in Frankfurt, New York. The reason behind Grillo's murder is she was skimming money from a local mafia crew and possibly cooperating with authorities. There were some checks. They were stolen from Metropolitan Life Insurance. They were checked 
that were uh, supposed to go to families where people have died, you get a check. And, uh, so somebody had stolen from the office where they, Metropolitan Office Insurance. These checks came to me. Person brought me a check and says, I got something going here. Are you interested in moving these checks? So right away, checks was a no-no to me because my first bid on that four years, grand larceny, was checks. And you're going to get caught when you fool around with checks. So I'm passing on this. I don't want it. I'm passing, forget about it, and I passed on the checks. Unbeknown to me, the same person knew an acquaintance of mine. Goes to him, he takes the check, checks. He forms a little crew, and uh, there was like two girls, maybe three guys, two or two, whatever. And what they did is he distributed checks for them. They would go into a bank, deposit make an account, deposit them in the savings account or whatever. And when the checks cleared, they would come and withdraw and they would bring back the money to this person. Even that person knew that I didn't want to have anything to do with those checks and I didn't have anything to do with the checks. He tells a, a, a young lady and uh, the man, the young man that was involved with the check cashing to go open up an account in Chase Manhattan, New York City. They go... The check clears. The check was for $26,000. They withdrew it. When they come back, they were $4,000 short on that money. That person didn't like it. The person wanted the $4,000. So he wants this young lady murdered. Just so happens that I was driving the car. She was in the car, and she got murdered by the other guy. What I'm saying, this is on record in court. I drove the car, I didn't kill her. And uh, the other guy admitted to kill her. But if you were in the situation uh, where somebody gets killed and you're just sitting there, you killed her too. You killed her too. I didn't want this to happen, especially for $4,000. But then the other part of it was, it wasn't the $4,000. They thought that she was going to go to the law and tell the law about the check scheming operation and get that person in trouble. Again, I had nothing to do with the checks, nothing. Went to trial, got convicted of that murder, and I did 26 years in prison on that murder. I think a lot about that in my life because of the situation. That young lady had a, a young child, and a lot of lives get hurt. You think you're hurting one life? No, you're hurting a lot of lives over that. I have a lot of remorse for that. I feel it in my heart till this day. It's a sad thing, you know. Uh, it's just a sad thing. I was in the car, I drove the car, but I didn't kill her. I'm not putting the weight on anybody else. I didn't. If I did, I would have did it at the trial. I would have been a fucking, you know, rat or stupid. I'm not doing that, you know. You got to know what the sad part of it and the painful part of it is, is when I went in prison. I got a letter from her daughter. Her daughter was a little baby. And when I got a letter from her daughter, she was a grown woman. She was telling me about her life, you know, when somebody gets, does, happens to somebody, the guy's gone or she's gone. But you don't realize the pain it causes their families. July 1982, Nappy is convicted of murder and is sentenced to 20 years to life in prison. On the next episode of Unbreakable, the Donato Danny Nappy story. Nappy talks about some of the jobs he worked and the activities he took place in and the lives he saved in prison. 
We'd like to thank our sponsors in support of the show. Crash's Metal Recovery, Joey's at 307, and Northeastern Roofing and Construction. From Disruption Network, this is Unbreakable, the Donato Danny Nappy story. Executive producers, Anthony Z. Donaldson and Danny Nappy Jr. Legal advice, Christopher Jude Pelly and David Longaretta. Consultants, Todd Williams, Gabriel Altamuro, J. Anthony Stucci and JGK Associates. Artwork, Jerry Bernardo. Social media marketing, Christy Schleider. And I'm your narrator, Anthony Colenzo. All rights reserved, Disruption Network 2021. Anthony Z. Donaldson jumping in really quick to say thank you so much for clicking that download button. If you guys can do us a quick little favor, subscribe, share this podcast, and if you could drop us a review in all our podcast platforms, it would be greatly appreciated. You can also follow along on Instagram at the real Danny Nappy. Thank you so much for all your support and click that share button, hit that subscribe button, and drop us a review.